welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Well, good morning. Oh, y'all like first service. Good morning. Okay, that's better, 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 better. Well, it's good to be back. I want to thank, if you were here last week, I want to thank you for um, allowing Julie and myself to take a very unexpected trip to North Carolina. Uh, we had a funeral that we needed to do. It's kind of an interesting deal. I'll just share a little bit with you before I get into the Word this morning, uh, because I think there's a truth out of it that I just want to mention to you in passing. Um, about uh, I, I was a youth pastor in Greenville, North Carolina for six and a half years, and uh, there was a really influential family in the church that we became very close to. They had young uh, stepsons in the youth ministry, and they were dating two of the girls in the youth ministry. They ended up getting married, long story short. Um, we hadn't spoken to them in about three or four years, um, and and in February, my phone rang. And how many of you know that anywhere you've ever lived before now, you get spam calls from wherever you've lived before in your life? It's ridiculous. I don't know how they do that. But I, I got this call, and the number showed up as a Greenville, North Carolina number. And so I answered it, even though I expected it to be spam. And I said, Passion, this is Steve. And the first words that I heard on the other end of the line was this, Brother! And I instantly knew who it was. It was Junior Phillips. And Junior Phillips um, was this gentleman that I'm, I'm speaking about. And, and uh, I said, Junior, how you doing? And without any other words before this, no, how you doing? How's the weather? How's the family? The first words out of his mouth after brother was this, I've called to ask you to do my funeral. And I said, excuse me? <laughs> I started laughing. I said, Junior, you're, you're, you're going to outlive us all. What are you talking about? You're not even sick. He said, I'm, I'm not getting off this phone until you agree to do my funeral. And I said, Junior, what? I just kept putting him off. And he, he just kept saying, I will not get off this phone until you agree to do my funeral. So I finally said to him, this was in February, I said to him, Junior, I will agree to do your funeral as long uh, on one condition. And he said, what's that? I said, that it's not anytime soon. Well, last Tuesday at 1.30, his wife called him. He was making lunch in the kitchen. She spoke to him. He was doing fine. When she got home at 5.30, she found him dead in the kitchen. Uh, powerful man of God. And this is the lesson I taught out of the, at the funeral that I just want to share with you in passing is this. Uh, you don't have to get ready if you stay ready. And so I just want to encourage you in your relationship with Jesus that you stay ready all the time. You may not have time to get ready, so you need to stay ready, all right? Is everybody in the, that's in the room that's ready, say amen. amen. All right, I thought you were here. Well, welcome to week three of Offense, offense Defense. We've been in this. This is a, a series that I think is extremely crucial for this body, for us. This is about what we deal with. So welcome to the most offended generation that has ever walked the face of the planet. Everybody's mad. Everybody's ticked off. Everybody's got their undies in a wad. What's the deal? On Facebook, everybody's griping somebody out. Doesn't, doesn't it seem like everybody's angry all the time? It's like we're living in the most angriest time. Everybody's upset about something. And so we've been talking about how do we deal with offense? 
We got to know how to navigate it. Well, let me share an instance out of my own life where I had an opportunity and I recognized that I was going to have to learn how to handle a fence. I graduated from Southwestern Christian uh, Ministries right down here on Southwestern or on 39th when I, in 1990. Um, for some of you, you weren't even born yet, but I graduated in 1990. And we moved to the metropolitan area of McCall, South Carolina. Y'all don't even know where that is because there were 3,800 people that lived in that town. It was the smallest thing. And I became the full-time youth pastor. Full-time. I worked no other job. Full-time for the astonishing amount of $6,800 a year. Full-time. I think maybe we ought to have a vote this morning and look back at our youth pastor's salary and make sure that we keep him humble and poor like most churches do to youth pastors. $6,800 a year. Well, I, this was the 90s. I, I, I could say this was a 90s thing, but I had rocked it from the 80s. I had a mullet. This was a man-made. This, this was a work of art. This, this mullet was flowing, and I had curls because I would get a perm. And, 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 and I still have my man card, but, but I had this long mullet that went down to about here y'all don't look at me like that because now I know you can't imagine it down now but you can blame my dad I, I'm about ready to bring it back but now I got to flip it forward so uh, but 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 it was down in the middle of my back and so I moved to McCall South Carolina to become youth pastor and we would have these meetings at uh, in the denomination we we're a part of and they would grant ministerial license so I decided I need to go get my minister's license and so I'll walk into this meeting with all these big wigs uh, and and they interview me and everything's great and I walk out of the interview room and then I get this phone call and they say this to me. Uh, Brother Steve, everything went great in your interview, and, uh, but, but we have a problem. And I said, well, what's the problem? They said, well, it's an election year. And if we let you come up on stage to give you your minister's license with that long hair, we will lose votes. So we're not going to give you your minister's license. I was like, what? So I called my dad. My dad was in Virginia preaching a revival, and he, he got done with the last night of revival, and he came flying to North Carolina. I mean, he was going to kill somebody. I mean, he was aggravated. And in the meantime, they called me back and said, Steve, we've worked it out. What we're going to do is, if you'll cut a quarter inch off your hair, we will give you your minister's license, but we will do it in a private ceremony in a room so nobody will see. And at that point, I said, now listen, come on, folks. This is the only reason I've got long hair is because I know one of these days I'm going to lose it. Number one. And number two, uh, it's a tool to reach teenagers. That's the only reason I've got this is because back then everybody had a mullet. And, and, and I think we ought to bring it back, but that's a whole different subject. Uh, and, and so, so I'm, I, I said, you know what? I'm not going to cut my hair. Uh, but j just forget about it. Well, uh, long story short, in that particular camp meeting, the bishop of the entire denomination was overseeing that camp meeting and he was preaching. So for the next three nights, he blistered their hind ends about not accepting people who love Jesus, that want to serve Jesus, that are doing their best for Jesus. And then on the last day, when it was time to get ministerial license, I'm sitting on the front row and he looks at me and he says, Steve, do you want your minister's license? And I said, yes. He said, I don't even know why you would want to be a part of this conference. He said, why don't you go down the road to Virginia? They're having their conference today and you can get your license there because apparently these people don't want you and they, they would love to have you as a part of their conference. And I, and I just raised my hand. I said, I, no, I want to be a part of this conference. And so he brought me up on stage and he gave me my minister's license with my long hair. But after the whole thing was over, he took me to the side of the room and I'll never forget this as long as I live because he helped me learn how to handle offense. And he made two statements to me that I want to share with you before we get into God's word this morning. The first one he made is so profound. He said, you have a choice to make. You have 
Uh, listen, we're going to talk about it in a minute, but Jesus says that it was, that it is absolutely impossible that during life offense will come, but we have a choice to make. How we'll handle it. How we'll deal with it. He looked at me, he said, you have a choice to make. You can allow this to either make you bitter or you can make, let this make you better. But you have to make the decision. We have a choice to make. We have to learn how to handle ourselves when we find ourselves in an offended moment. Anybody have an opportunity this past week to be offended? Just me? Uh, I, okay, I thought so. I thought so. Everybody's mad, so, so we can be offended. I can take you into Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 tells us to do this. These are instructions we know. We just don't like to do them. It says that while you're worshiping, if you remember that your brother has offense against you, you leave your offering at the altar and you go and you make it right, remember? But then he comes back in Matthew chapter 18 and he says now that you've got an offense against somebody else, you're supposed to go to them and confront them. And if they won't listen to you, you're supposed to take a witness and deal with it. So we are educated beyond our level of obedience. We know what to do. We just don't like to do it. But I, I would contend with you that one of the reasons we don't like to do those things anymore is because haven't you discovered that not everybody will participate? Like if, if somebody has an offense against me and I leave my offering at the altar and I go and ask them to forgive me, they won't even talk to me. Or if, if they've offended me and I want to go talk to them, they won't. Not only will they not talk to me, they won't adjust. Like I just told you that when you sit in my chair on Sunday morning, it makes me mad. But the next Sunday morning, you sit in my chair again. They won't adjust their attitude. They won't adjust their actions. Have you noticed? They don't participate. So my question is, is in situations like that, when we are dealing with offense and the people that are offending us won't adjust, what do we do to maintain our sanity? How, how, do, how do we operate and navigate the relationship in a way that we keep our salvation? How do we stay out of jail? Because I want to... Am I the only one? I guess I'm the only one, Pastor Drew. I'm the only one that when somebody offends me and I tell them they offend me and I don't like what they put on Facebook and I tell them they go back and post it again. Or they... Anybody else? Am I the only one that wants to punch them right in the face every time? I just like, I want to, I'm like, put me in jail, take me away, haul me off, put handcuffs on me. You better put me in jail because I'm going to hurt somebody. Am I the only one? I'm the only one, Drew. I'm the only one. Your pastor wants to punch somebody in the face. What's wrong with you? What are we supposed to do? H how do we navigate that? Well, this morning, what I want to do is I want to mention three things to you that will help us handle hurt. And I want you to understand what I'm getting ready to say. Nothing I am mentioning to you requires the participation of the other party. I want to say that again. Nothing that I'm going to mention, all three of the steps that I'm going to mention to you, the, the, the offense, defense, these, these actions that we have a choice, that we get to make, they have nothing to do with the other person. And the other person does not even have to participate, nor they, do they have to give you permission. You don't have to call them up and say, I'm going to do these three things. Is that all right with you? You don't even have to ask them. They will probably never even know you're doing them, but it will keep you sane. And it'll probably keep you out of jail. Are you ready? Okay, here's how you handle hurt. I'm going to mention this first one and then I'm going to prove I'm right. Because you're going to think I'm crazy. Because you're going to think the two have nothing to do with each other. What does this step have to do with getting over an offense? Let, let me see. If, I'm just going to say it and then I'll explain it. The first step in defense for offense is this. 
we must be rooted in God's Word. God's Word is the best offense defense that we have. And you say, well, that doesn't even make any, that doesn't make any sense. What does having, uh, being rooted and being in love with God's Word, knowing God's Word, how does that have any bearing on my ability to navigate difficult relationships? Can I prove it to you out of His Word? Because in Psalm chapter 119, verse 165, I want you to see what David says. He says this, Great peace have they which love thy law, here it is, and Nothing shall offend them. I'm going to read it again because it went over your head just like it did in first, first, first service. They just look at me like I was crazy. Great peace have they which love thy law and nothing. It means they can post whatever they want to post on Facebook and you can't offend me. It means you can treat me any way you want to treat me, but nothing will offend me. You can cut me off in traffic, direct me with one finger, and nothing will offend me if I love his word. Okay, it's quiet up in here. David recognized that those that love God's word and have God's word deeply rooted within them, that nothing can offend them because the word is a powerful defense against offense. What are you talking about, Steve? If you are rooted in God's word, then you will have a cor correct perspective about who you are and whose you are. So they can say whatever they want to say about you on Facebook, but you recognize because you're in, rooted in God's word that their words aren't true that he sees you different than that okay y'all are way too quiet this morning the, the 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 word it helps us know who we are whose we are the word helps uh, produce peace in our heart the word is uh, is it tells us about the end I don't know if you've gone forward you ought to read forward in the book and recognize in revelation that at the end of the whole thing we win so that ought to impact how you deal with people who offend you because you recognize even though they're calling you a loser they don't really know what they're talking about you win the word is a refuge the word is our strong tower the word is our defense so if we were rooted in God's word we would be offended by nothing. The mantra for this whole series has been this, no offense taken. How do you do that? You get rooted in God's Word. So if, so if I'm rooted in God's Word, then I'm no longer susceptible to lies. I'm no longer accepted, uh, susceptible to, uh, to exaggerations. I'm no longer susceptible to rumors. I don't blow things out of proportion. Ever been in relationship with somebody that blows everything out of proportion and the enemy uses it as the trigger for the trap? Remember we said that the word offense refers in Greek. It's the word scandalon. It's where we get our word scandal and it refers to this little piece right here. I didn't set the trap today because I'm playing against odds. I've said it twice and I still have both hands. So I decided not to do it this morning because I was afraid it would cut my arm off because it's so powerful. But that little thing right there is the trigger. It's where you put the cheese. It's the word offense. It's the trigger to the trap. And we recognize that the enemy tries to trap us through offense. But when we know God's word, we're not susceptible to that. So the logical conclusion that I must make, and I wished I didn't have to make this conclusion, but I must, is that I don't really know very many people, including the person holding this microphone, since I've already told you I wanted to punch somebody in the face before. It's a logical conclusion that I'm talking about me too, is that we must not love the word as much as we should, 
or nothing would offend us. Okay. Our lack of love and interaction and knowledge in God's Word makes us susceptible to following for the, the, the trigger and we get trapped. So I, so I wrote this down. This is a statement that I came up with and I, I was concerned that you may think I'm just trying to be cute and, and uh, play with words. That's not necessarily the case. I just wanted to be in such a way that it will help you remember and see if maybe it will help you or at least challenge you to be more uh, purposeful and intentional about getting into his word. I wrote this down. I said, the truth is that most of us don't handle hurt very well because we love our rights more than we love his rights. Now, let me explain because it doesn't make any sense. Most of us don't navigate being hurt very well because we love our rights. I have rights. You're not supposed to talk to me like that. You're not supposed to treat me like that. We love our rights, R-I-G-H-T, more than we love his rights, W-R-I-T-E-S. Because if we loved his word, nothing would offend us. My question to you this morning is not... Whether you would give lip service and say, I love God's word. My question is, is there any evidence of your love for God's word by the fact that you're devouring it? And that you're learning to handle God's word so God's word can handle you. We must become rooted in his word. His word teaches us that we must turn the other cheek. His word says that, that blessed are those. His word says count it all joy. All these instructions on how to handle difficult seasons and difficult op- opinions and to discern tough situations. So step one in handling hurts is to make sure that you are immersed in his word. That, that And again I want to remind you, you can do that whether they ever say they're sorry or not. You can do that whether they, you don't have to call them up and say, hey, I think I'm going to start reading God's word more so I'll get rooted in the word and nothing will offend me. Is that all right with you? You don't have to ask permission. You can do this all by yourself. The second step is this. I think the second step to appropriately handling hurt is to stop a second and remember the grace we have received. One way to say it is like this. Grace given should result in grace given, giving. The truth is, one man said this, he said, forgotten grace breeds unforgiving living. Some of us struggle to deal with hurt and handle hurt appropriately and to deal with offense because we have conveniently forgotten that we have been given grace. We walk around like we've always been this this perfect, always been this accepted, always been this righteous, always been in right standing with God, like we never did anything wrong, like we've never received any grace. We conveniently forget that Jesus offered us great grace and therefore we should in turn give grace to others. I want you to listen to what Paul says, because I'm concerned that when we're wrong today, we want revenge and justice. When somebody says something to me about me on Facebook, I want revenge. Anybody else? I want justice. Maybe you wouldn't admit it, but maybe you fantasize about what you're going to say. Maybe you wouldn't ever, you're too holy to write it, but you want to tell them a thing and you fantasize. Boy, if I was meaner than I really am, that I want everybody to know I am, I would let them hold it. I'd let them hold it. I'd give them a piece of my mind. Anybody else? 
But if we would stop and remember that we've already been given great grace. Paul speaks about this to Ephesians. Remember that he's talking to the church. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to Christians. He says to them in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26 and then verse 31 and 32. Listen to what he says. He says, and we're going to come back to this one verse next week. So just, you might as well get familiar with it this week. If you are angry, don't sin by nursing your grudge. (laughs) How many of us nurse grudges? Yeah. Then he says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Get over it quickly. Come on, touch your neighbor. Say, you need to get over it. Tell them, just get over it right now. Yeah, that's what I thought. Some of y'all hitting one another. Say, you need to get over it. For, for when you are angry, listen to what happens. You give a mighty foothold to the devil. Listen to verse 31. Stop being mean. He's writing to believers in the church. Ever met any mean church folks? Met any of them this morning? Hope not. Stop being mean. He says, stop being bad-tempered and angry. Quarreling, harsh words, and dislike of others should have no place in your lives. Verse 32, instead be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God has forgiven you because you belong to Christ. Forgive one, here's another version, forgive one another as quickly as, And thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. How do you get over offense? How do you get that? I've learned something in life. If I can get over it, God will get me through it. So how do I get over it quickly? We stop and we remember that Christ has completely, completely, thoroughly given me grace. And forgave me. In fact, Jesus talks about this same thing. I want to read a passage of Scripture to you, you, and then I'm going to come back to it and tell you how we normally use it. Because we take it out of context. I think we, 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 we read it right in that it does apply, but I think we only hone in on one area and we forget that there's a bigger context. Listen to what Jesus says. He says in Luke chapter 6, verse 27 through 30, and then verse 37 through 38. Listen to what he says. Jesus addresses them and he says, To you who are ready for the truth, I say this, lo- I say this love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer for that person. If someone slaps you in the face, stand there and take it. That's Jesus talking. That's not me. Jesus says, if somebody's slapping you in the face, to stand there and take it. Then he goes on and he says this. If someone grabs your shirt, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. Then he says, if someone parks in your parking... Oh, it doesn't say that. Okay. If someone takes unfair advantage of you, Use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. Don't pick on people. Don't jump on their failures or criticize their faults unless, of course, you want the same treatment. Don't condemn those who are down. That hardness can boomerang. Be easy on people. You'll find life a lot easier. Give away your life. You'll find life given back, but not merely given back, given back with bonus and blessing. 
Giving, not giving, giving, not getting is the way generosity begets generosity. Okay, let me stop right there. I read it out of a different version to catch your attention because we know this passage really well. Let me see if there's any old school in the house because this is how we learned it. Verse 38, in verse 38, we're familiar with it like this. Give and it will be given unto you. Press down, shaken together, and running away. We know it like that, boy. We used to sing a song about it. And what we do is we take verse 38 and we hone in on finances. The, the, surely, if he's talking about giving, it shall be given. Pressed down, shaken together. He's talking about money. But we take it out of context because there's, verse 38 is in the whole speech he's given about what? Relationships. Relationships. So he's saying to you that, that the measure I measure, the measure I have been given is the measure I should measure back to you. And he's talking about relationships. Give, and it will be given. I, okay, I can't get any help this morning. I, um, Jack Hayford calls this the law of self-administered return. The idea is that some of us are cutting ourselves off of receiving grace because we won't give grace. I'm preaching right now. We want grace measured to us, but we won't in turn give any grace back. Give and it shall, okay. Uh, our return is determined by our willingness to give grace according to the measure we have received it. We, we determine if God's abundance will flow towards us. So let me ask you a question. What is the greatest gift God has ever given you? Please don't say a house. Please don't say a car. Please, please don't say your nice set of jeans. Please, please don't say... The greatest gift that God has ever given me and you is forgiveness. Is grace. Because I didn't deserve it. And you know what? Newsflash, none of you did either. But he gave it to you anyway. And now he's saying to us, I've given you this great gift and what I need to do, I need you to do is I need you to give it to others. So why is it that we want to read verse 38 and we want to say, well, that verse given, it shall be given to you, works for our money, but has nothing to do with our marriage. Well, why, why do we want to say that verse 38 has everything to do with our nickels, but it doesn't have a, has nothing to do with our neighbors? Why is it that we think that verse 38 only works in economics, but doesn't have anything to do with our enemies? We want to, we want to focus and say, this given, it shall be given, is only about financial things. But we must understand that Jesus was saying, if you give grace, you will receive grace. So how do we handle hurt? We've got to learn and operate in this understanding that we get the same amount of grace that we give. Third, step three, Paul understood, and again he's writing to believers, that most likely at some point you're going to run into somebody that rubs you the wrong way. Okay, touch your neighbor right now and tell him you rub, no, I'm playing. He's saying that you're probably, it's, it's inevitable, you're going to go through life and, and, and because, how many, have, is there anybody else in the room that would be honest enough to say there are some people that are difficult to get along with? All right? All right, you can put your hands down and quit pointing at me. All right? 
Paul's saying, look, it's inevitable. There's going to be, and he's writing to the church, there's going to be people inside the kingdom that are going to be jerks. Then this is what he says. He teaches us to approach every relationship with a willingness to make allowance. Listen to what he says. Colossians chapter 3 verse 13. Make allowance for each other's faults. Wait a minute. He's saying we all have faults. I don't like Paul. I think I'm just going to ignore it and act like I'm perfect. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat my wife like she's always got to be perfect. Paul says, make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must. Oh, let me stop right there. You must. Wait a minute, Jesus. You don't know how mean they were to me. They are the biggest jerk to ever walk the planet, so this doesn't apply. You must. They said stuff about me, not only on Facebook, but they also forwarded it to Twitter. And then they took my picture and put it on Instagram and made fun of me. They talked about my kids. They talked about my dog. They talked about my house. They talked about my clothes. You don't. You must. You must. You must. Forgive them. You must. Think about this statement for just a moment. He says that we must make an allowance for each other's faults. In other words, we make room for mistakes. Some of us approach every relationship with so much demand... And so many expectations that nobody can live up to. And when they do something they shouldn't do, we freak out. And Paul is saying, is, you, won't, you won't have to deal with offense if you'll make allowance. Like, I'm expecting, uh, let me tell you how I operate. My, my wife better be perfect. My kids, the... My, my kids better be so perfect that without me ever saying so, they're going to get up every day, make their bed, clean their room. They're going to go out and mow the yard without me ever having to ask them to mow the yard. They're going to take out the trash. I'm never even going to have to remind them. It's just going to be automatic. It's in their DNA. They got to do it right because they're perfect. I've got all these unrealistic expectations and then when they don't live up to them, they, I, I, I hold a fence. No, Paul's saying, look, you got to make allowance. I struggle with that word because in my house growing up, I had to earn my allowance. Okay, now y'all got to understand, I was like rolling in it. I'm talking like I was so filthy rich by the time I was 18, it, it would blow your mind because see, I had to take out the trash every day. I had to feed the dog, take the dog out every day, and I had to mow the yard. And I was banking a dollar a week allowance. I had to earn it. Paul is not talking about that. Paul is saying, listen, whether they ever deserve it or not. In fact, he said, make an allowance for their, not for their good stuff. He says, make an allowance for their faults. Then you won't be offended. So what does that mean? That means that we walk through life and before we ever, in, ever have any exchange, before we have a, any encounter with anybody, we're willing to give someone grace to make a mistake. And we say, you know what? Their mistake is not fatal. They, they, they're going to blow it. You know what I've discovered? I'm going to be honest with you. See, see if I'm being too transparent this morning. 
I've discovered that it's easier to be mad than it is to live like Jesus. Anybody else? It's just easier. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. And then we discover this is hard work. But Paul says that we should come to this place where we're willing to make an allowance for one another. So here's our defense. Here's our offense, defense. We fall in love with, with God's Word again. We begin to become knowledgeable in God's Word. We begin to get rooted in God's Word about who it says I am, who it says you are. How do I handle tough situations? The Word tells me. We know His Word. And once that Word takes up residence in us, we can no longer be offended. No offense taken. We have a choice. And the other party doesn't even have to participate. They may never say they're sorry. Some of y'all are in bondage this morning because you're waiting on somebody that hurt you 15 years ago to finally come to their senses and come begging for your forgiveness. What happens if they don't? They don't have to. And you can still walk in freedom if you become rooted in His Word. And the second step is I've got to become a person that understands how, how much grace I've been given. I don't know about how much grace God gave you. Maybe Jesus only gave you a little bit of grace. But can I testify for one moment? God gave me, Jesus gave me great grace. Anybody else that you would recognize? Man, I was a jacked up. I was angry. I was hateful. I wasn't a person. And Jesus gave me great grace. Anybody else feel like Jesus gave you great grace? Three of us. Good. So if I've been given great grace, then wouldn't it make sense that when you sit in my chair on Sunday morning and I don't like it, when you, when, when, when Pastor Andrew says greet one another and you've got like five coffee cups in both your hands and a purse and six bulletins, I won't get offended that you don't shake my hand? Hold a grudge against you from now until Jesus comes back? Didn't speak to me, rolled their eyes at me? No, I've been given great grace. So in return, you can treat me any way you want to. In fact, I'll live up to the standard Jesus said, come and slap me in my face. And I'll stand there and take it. Because I recognize He gave me great grace. And how I give it determines how it's measured back to me. And not only that, I'll make an allowance for you. I expect somebody in this room to offend me before I get out of here. Why? Because we all have faults. In fact, I want to, this, this is how we're going to, I, see, some, most of you are sitting next to people that you're in relationship with. You chose to sit with whoever you're sitting with. And so we're just going to help one another out. We're just going to live like Paul said. So I want you to look at the person you're sitting next to and say, I will give you a weekly allowance. Come on, tell them, tell them, tell them. I will give you a week. Oh, wait a minute. I know some of y'all looking at each other like you're crazy because you know it's going to take more than that. Oh, let's do this. I will give you a daily allowance. Come on, tell them. I will give you. No, no, wait a minute. I, some of y'all, we need to look at some of each other right now and say, no, 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 no. If that ain't going to cut it either. I will give you an hourly allowance. Come on, tell them. I'll give you, I, I'll give you a minute by minute allowance. In fact, because I know you so well, I will give you a second, no, millisecond by millisecond allowance. I expect you 
could we begin to operate in this body with the idea that I'm going to make an allowance for your faults? And could we even go one step further? Could we take that home and quit putting all these demands and expectations on the people that we say that we love? And make an allowance that, hey, you know what? The wife might wake up one morning and actually be in a bad mood. Could we make an allowance for the husband and go, you know what? He, he may have had a hard day at work and, and now he came home and he's a little shorter than I wished he would be with his tone. And, and maybe make an allowance for kids that are just being kids. And then could we possibly graduate to where when we go to Starbucks and somebody cuts us off? We make an allowance. And when we go into the stoplight and they swerve over in front of us, could we just make the simple allowance that maybe they're just blind? They don't have a clue what they're doing? Could we just make an allowance to go, man, maybe they need to get to go, go, maybe they need to get to where they're going worse than I do. Maybe it's an emergency. Could we make this allowance? Maybe they just don't know how to drive. And instead of being offended and nursing a grudge, and putting ourselves in bondage? Could we just make an allowance for one another's faults? Knowing that one of these days we'll make the mistake and we need people to offer us grace. Father, this morning I pray that you would touch us and help us as we try to learn to handle and navigate relationships. And Father, you know, next week as we gather, we're going to come together and we're going to pray that you would help us with, uh, without to release any anger or animosity or hurt. But this morning, I just pray that you would begin to help us in a very private way. Each one of us, we would recognize that offense is difficult to deal with. And I pray that you would help us to judge our own heart and our own life because some of us, we're not handling hurt very well. And our natural response is we want, to, we want to strike back and we want vengeance and we want revenge and, and, and we fantasize about it and we plan it and we think it. We type it. And so, Father, this morning I'm praying that you would do this in each and every one of us. I pray, first of all, that you'd help us to fall back in love with your word. And it would be more than lip service that we would immerse ourselves in your word and your word would take up residence in our life and you would root us in your word so that we know how to respond and so that nothing, according to your word, the promise is this, nothing will offend us. We can walk through life and say, no offense taken. And Father, I pray that you would allow us to be reminded on a moment-by-moment -moment basis of just how much grace you have given us. You've given us great grace. And if sowing and reaping works in our finances, it also works in our relationships. So Father, I pray that we would begin to extend grace at the measure that you've given it to us. We would give people great grace. And we would take you at your word when Jesus, you said to forgive 70 times 7. And we're not legalistic about it. So we're not looking at the 491th time we'll drop the bomb on you. No, we recognize that you were teaching us that time and time again, no matter how often they ask for forgiveness, we offer grace. Help us to be people of grace. And Father, I pray that we would begin to make allowance for each other's faults. And I pray that it would start at home. I pray that it would extend to our neighborhood. 
I pray that it would extend to our community and I pray that it would extend into this body so that when we deal with one another, we make an allowance. We lower our expectation and demand and we treat each other with grace, recognizing that every one of us has faults. And so we make an allowance for that and we stay in relationship. I ask you to start this in us. And Father, like I've said already, we don't have to wait on the other party. I pray that we would begin this in our own life so that we can walk into freedom. And Father, we'll give you glory for it in Jesus' name. On the count of three, I want you to say our mantra that we've been trying to get into your spirit, which is no offense taken. One, two, three. No offense taken. Come on again. One, two, three. No offense taken. One more time. One, two, three. No offense taken. God bless you this morning. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.